Hi, I'm Drew. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am a general pediatrician in Tucson, Arizona with a large transgender medicine practice. And I'm Lizette. My pronouns are she, her, her. I'm a small business owner, advocate, and the mother of a 13-year-old transgender child. And this is season two of... I Stand By You. With Lizette. And Drew. Together, we talk about allyship. And this season, because we're all feeling very isolated, we're going to focus a little more on community, building community. And showing up for one another. Welcome. Welcome. No food. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of I Stand By You with Lizette and Drew. Today we have Marisa Seitz with us. I'm so excited. Hi, Marisa. Hi. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. Um, Marisa, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. So I'm a native of Tucson. Um, I... Like you said, I currently work at Carpen Weiss, where I practice family law. A um, little bit more background um, is that I am a only child. Um, my mom is Latina. My dad is white. And uh, I went to public school here in Tucson. I uh, went to U of A undergrad. Um, during college, I uh, went on to become a legal assistant. And during that period of time, really solidified my desire to go to law school. I wanted to go to law school to become a civil rights attorney because I was really inspired by the civil rights movement. Um, After law school, I went, well, I returned back to town where I clerked for a judge for a couple of years. One year was in the juvenile court and another year was on the criminal court. From there, I went on to become a prosecutor for the county attorney's office. And then um, I did a brief stint where I had a job doing something temporary um, and then became a public defender. I came back here from a little brief period that I spent in Las Vegas. And after being a public defender, uh, where I mainly worked with kids, um, I went on to private practice at Krepp and Weiss done a little bit of everything at the firm, but now I primarily uh, practice in family law, and I also still do some juvenile work. Um, I did want to go to law school to become a civil rights attorney. Um, It didn't really happen uh, because I, well, I'll be honest, I got a little lazy during the Obama administration. (laughs) As we all do. I I mean, I really, I really did. I really wanted to do that. Um, I even looked at some schools in the South, um, but I got a little lazy, like I said, and, uh, well, I have learned my lesson these last four, five years, at least, um, have really five forty something like that. Right. I know. No, no, no. And don't get me wrong. I know. But especially for, you know, for me, like having not lived through other civil rights movements in terms of me personally seeing oh, yeah. things and being old enough to understand, um, I have learned my lesson. And I'll never let that happen again. So um, while I am in private practice doing family law, I am spending my time um, becoming active uh, in social justice movements. Um, in particular, I uh, have a uh, an interest and 
affection uh, for uh, black people um, and uh, trans trans folks and everything that they're going through, especially when it comes to trans and gender nonconforming children. So you said a little bit, but I gave you probably too much. No, I like no. it. And now, and recently, Marisa just joined Saga to help us with um, legal questions and things too. Somebody's like Mike is rubbing on a shirt, and it's I'm picking it up. That might be mine. Okay. <laughs> So I'm um, sorry. No, you're fine. So um, Marisa's now at Saga. Well, not at Saga. She's still at Carpen Weiss. But now we've brought her on with the Southern Arizona Gender Alliance and helping us with some stuff, which is really exciting. I'm excited for it. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I'm thrilled. And I, and I feel so honored that I have been welcomed and identified as an ally. Um, I just I can't even wait to help and do whatever I can to make things better um, for trans folks and trans kids in our community and whatever else that leads to. Well, we're lucky to have you. Um, Speaking of like, you know, being lazy under Obama, I always tease Daniel because he like officially came out in 2015 and then, you know, Trump won. And I was like, that that was just the worst time to choose to come out, Daniel. But <laughs> he's like, I know, bad timing. We always joke around because it really was a terrifying time. Um, so, well, you, you know, along those lines, though, I mean, I think that that also, you know, at that point, you know, Daniel felt comfortable. He felt like we had probably progressed to a, a point um, you know, in our lives where we were turning back. And then, well... Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I also think for some kids, for some trans people, at some point, it's just yeah, parents have taken too long. And I think that was us. <laughs> we took too long to figure it out. He was like, it's finally time, people. So um, yeah. we were traveling through the Trump administration at a really interesting time in our lives. It's interesting. I feel like I got lazy the first time during Clinton. Mm. Um just being a little bit older than y'all thought it was, I thought that was where it was going to turn around. <laughs> and, and that was going to be where the good all started. And, and, yeah. and we weren't going to have to worry anymore. Yeah. Well, the first time and I ever voted was for Gore. And then we uh, had the Tatchett situation. And every president after that, that I voted for lost and Obama was the first person I ever voted for that actually won. Um, and I just thought, Oh, we're upswing. This world is different now. Um, and it was interesting to right? see like that pushback on the Obama years, um, happen in, in such a dramatic fashion. I mean, I just, you know, I feel like I spent the first couple months of Trump's presidency terrified. Um, and I think people thought I was being alarmist, but now if we've, as we've seen everything unfold, I'm like everything that I talked to y'all about actually sort of unfolded and happened. And we really saw yeah. the ugliness of this country. Oh, and there were some much worse, much crazier things than any of us ever thought would happen. I mean, I don't think any of us predicted that one of our political parties would be taken over by people who believe there's a pedophile cannibal ring in the country. 
Or that there's a <laughs> laser in the sky that causes uh, wildfire. Laser in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't right. think any of us predicted that. No. <laughs> no, the age of misinformation. Well, you know, and it's really interesting for as much as we... You know, I, um, I think I've mentioned this show before, but there was like a brief show on VH1 where this girl travels back to the 90s and her best friend asks her, like, what's the greatest invention that happens in the future? Is it flying cars? And she's like, no, she's like, she's like, they put you can watch anything you want from your phone. You can access anything you want from your phone. They're called smartphones. And her friend was like, I don't believe you. But if you think about it, I mean, I had, I remember when I, my freshman year in college, I still had a beeper that dates me. <laughs> yes, I was just thinking the same thing. I love my and we feature. we really wow. have seen the evolution of phones and the like the quick accessibility to information because of the internet. So it's a really powerful tool. But at the same time, we're really, I think under this administration, we were able to see like the really, the pitfalls and negative things that can happen with something so powerful and so small that we carry around with us everywhere. So I don't know what the solution is to that, but I think more cat videos. (laughs) More cat videos. (laughs) Right? Right? But who knew, though, like, okay, like, you could see people taking advantage of that technology, but really, like, cannibal children eating, like, I don't know how it goes that extreme, but I guess people are willing to believe anything if, you know, you hate some folks that much. I don't know. I don't understand it. I would love to start something. I'm trying to think of like what sort of crazy rumor you could start. Um, but anyway, hey, I have a question. Too soon, too, too soon, Drew. Yes. <laughs> I have a question about. So, um, I know what I see on sort of like the medical side with trans kids. What do you see with kind of what their legal needs are? In case we have a lawyer listening who's thinking, I want to help. Well, um, it has come to my attention that there are more families um, who are litigating um, their family issues um, when it comes to um, trans uh, gender nonconforming children. So that would take the form of legal decision making and parenting time. Um, So and then obviously, well, child support would be impacted by uh, parenting time. But those are the main things that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky here in Tucson, though. Um, it has uh, come to my attention, um, and for a while now, apparently, that uh, the Department of Child Safety is affirming. And so um, I know that has been a lot of the concern um, surrounding you know, parents of um, kids who are going through this period of time in their lives uh, that, you know, DCS might come, get involved and you might lose your children. Um, so I think that that should be a big relief for a lot of parents, at least here in, um, well, it's actually Arizona-wide. So that's my understanding that it's, it expands Arizona-wide. So all of DCS uh, in Arizona is affirming. I was um, relieved when but, I learned that. 
I'm sorry? I said I was deeply relieved when I learned that. Right. Yeah, me too. I was too. I I didn't know that that was really, um, had really been addressed, you know, head on. Um, Until recently, I knew that there were uh, families that were dealing with, um, you know, those sorts of challenges. And, um, but I didn't know for sure what the policy was. And I quite frankly, I'm not sure if it's an official policy of DCS, but, um, I have learned, and as you did too, Lisa, that um, DCS is is affirming and they will do, they'll go above and beyond, you know, to really make sure that the kids are protected in that way. So that's been good. Um, I've actually seen some kids who end up in the system because their families are so actively anti Right. um, That it became abuse. Yeah. And, um, so there is, at least you know then that if that is the case, then DCS is stepping in to try and protect kids who are in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not practitioners, though, know um, or are educated enough um, is another question. Yeah. So one of the things I um, am trying to do is make sure that practitioners and judges are informed and informed by um, folks like you, Drew, and Lisa, yeah. and um, trans folks. I mean, who's better to speak than people who are, you know, a part of the community uh, so that they're educated and they know that this is not just a thing, this is real. Um, and it's not abuse. Um, and that they're making the right decisions because if you don't make the right decisions um, and, and advocate in the right way, uh, you know, you, you could be faced with some very serious consequences that impact lives. And, yes. Um, beyond just, you know, dealing with mental health challenges, as, you know, as an adult, but worse. And I think... We all know what I'm talking about. So. Yeah. Yeah. Marisa, I was going to yeah. say, um, you and I met through a mutual friend. Um, mm-hmm. We connected through a mutual friend who uh, was working with you and we connected online. I can't, I don't remember when mm-hmm. anymore. Um, was it helpful to see, to have a parent like firsthand share their experiences and share like, or what brought you to this work? You know, besides just me posting my anger all the time. But what other things were you seeing that you were like, because I know you and I had touched base and you were like, Lizette, I want to help. Like, tell me, tell me how to help. And I was like, I don't know, like, (laughs) until something really big happened where I was like, I need your help. Um, But like, what were things that you were seeing that that you felt like, okay, I feel like this calling to really lend my hand in these other ways that under Obama, we hadn't really thought we needed to yet. Well, it's not that I didn't know that that was going on during the Obama administration. I just thought that we were progressing in a way, you know, that, um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I underestimated and I was ignorant of, um, the hate that would come after the Obama administration. Um, even though I learned about it once, uh, 
Trump was elected. Um, you first asked, though, you know, was it helpful? Absolutely. I, I loved seeing that and knowing that. I mean, I think that it was the feature in people um, when I saw your family. And um, I was just blown away by that and the fact that you were local and that you were so supportive and both of you, you and, and, and Jose were so supportive and, and loving. And I just, I, I was, I, I mean, I think I cried probably when I saw it because that's what I do. Um, what had impacted me, uh, the Trump administration's attack on trans people in particular, um, I've always been uh, very supportive of LGBTQ community, but, um, I saw a specific target on trans folks during this administration that was, it, it enraged me. And um, I never really knew what to do. I didn't want to, um, you know, impose myself as, you know, as, a, as a cis woman. Um, but I realize now that it's so important to do whatever you can even if you're not a part of a particular community. And um, then I started, you know, I started really seeing how kids were being impacted and the target um, on children's lives and, you know, trans, gender nonconforming children. And that, you know, with these bills that are, you know, have been proposed several times and things that happened here in Arizona in the past, but, um, knowing that there, you know, there's been a, a life breathed into a certain segment of our population over the last uh, five or so years that makes for, makes these sorts of bills um, much more um, threatening. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a call to really try and advocate and be an ally as much as I can despite the fact that I'm not a, you know, a specific member of the transgender non-conforming community. Um, I just think it's really important that all of us who care and, um, you know, want to do something to make sure that things like this don't happen, we speak out about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm actually really surprised by the number of people who don't even know the bills are happening. Um, so it might, I mean, here in Arizona, I mean, these are around the country. Mm -hmm. um, I think the ones this year tend to be uh, keep trans girls out of sports, um, don't allow amendment of birth certificates, um, don't allow medical transition for anyone under 18, and there's a fourth one that I can't remember. Um, but those are the big those are the biggest ones that are coming up this year and it's no coincidence that they're everywhere um they're being launched out of although i think they're being launched out of new places this year um it seems like not as many are coming out from the scottsdale group or alex um, but the, it's the language is yeah. very similar so they just probably took it and was like let's roll with this well, apparently, I mean, I, there's rumors that the group that's really helping this year is uh, uh, 
American College of Pediatricians, which is not the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's a group that only has a couple hundred people in it, pediatricians who are, above all else, anti-LGBT. Right. Which seems like a really odd stance to take as a pediatrician. And just like that would be that specific of an issue. <laughs> um, and because it's interesting, the bills have been tweaked this year and they have put in things to knock out some of the arguments we had against them last year. Mm. Um, they've made exceptions, actually, which it's good to see something that'll help someone. Um, some exceptions for people who are intersex to be able to choose their gender identity that they will compete with in sports. Um, although they have to go through a very rigorous process of proving that they are intersex before that in some of the bills I've seen. Um, and we're winning. We're winning on these. So Win far. Yeah, winning in that they're failing in states, right? Yep. Yeah. They failed in South Dakota. Montana. Montana. Um, I thought Utah might have gone down too, but I'm not sure. And fortunately, the person sponsoring in Arizona is apparently unpopular with her fellow Republicans. Yeah, I think I think the thing that disappointed me the most this year, this legislative session, um, was that last session we only saw the charging parents with a class two felony in Missouri, and that uh -huh. really wasn't written into the other bills across the 15 states. But this year we saw it in four. Um, and I think, although, it, and it's the most extreme, right? The most extreme in language. I think my concern is always like, are they gonna give us the most extreme only to talk it down so that people think it's reasonable um, if they were to try to pass them? which is always unfortunate and it's exhausting. It's terrifying for families to have to navigate this trauma every legislative season. And uh, I call it season now, session, sorry. Um, season but is perfectly good. <laughs> but just, Marissa, in terms of like what a class two felony is, what does that, what's the equivalent of something like we might've seen on Law and Order? <laughs> well, it's a very serious crime. Um, if you want to like gauge it so that it's really easy to understand I and mean, it's right underneath the class one felony, which would be murder. Okay. So it's okay. right underneath that. Um, very serious offenses are class classified as a class two felony. Um, yeah. I mean, so it's, 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 it's the most extreme you could get besides killing somebody. Yeah. So it's, it's awful. I just, um, it just knocked the wind out of me considering right. well, and also loving. the fact that like, and I know that not all legislators are lawyers, right? which I feel like you should have some legal training to become a legislator. And, I'm, and I don't mean that you have to be formal. I don't mean you have to be a lawyer because there's pl plenty of folks who are doing good work and they're not, I mean, look at EOC, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm particularly disturbed by in learning um, that a lot of these bills are, you know, cookie cutter, uh, yeah. that these legislators don't even understand what they say, but they know that they're going to gain, um, you know, popularity with a, an extreme hateful base that they're okay with. Yeah. And, um, 
I, it's it's just really disturbing to me to know that there are um, members of marginalized groups who also back these, you know, yeah. um, these sorts of bills. It, it, and members of the legal community, obviously. But, you know, being a, a person of um, color um, who is a part of the legal community, I'm not, you know, this is not nothing. This is not anything that's new for me to know that this is the kind of thing that happens. But it's still disturbing, especially when you're targeting kids. Yeah, like there's a special place in hell for you for doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> I love when you tell me that. Speaking of, I mean, it being... is. It's, I really do believe that. I mean, who does this? Right. What is yeah. wrong with you? But you know, at the end of the day, I was listening to Chase Strangio um, from the ACLU uh, talk to someone uh, recently about uh, these bills. And, you know, gave a really good overview that this is this is really about controlling people's bodies. And it's very much like the fight um, for women's rights. And, um, you know, like the bill we're seeing now uh, you know, that would criminalize um, abortion. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a very similar to that, to control bodies. Now, I don't know, the larger... The larger message is just such a, such hypocrisy when, you know, the right has stood for less government and yet they want to control bodies. So I wish I wish that somebody that would, just so deep. I wish somebody would create a Venn diagram because it's so easy to sell like don't kill babies. Right. And Drew and I have talked about this a couple times about how Roe v. Wade led to because it was a privacy case led to um, a lot a lot of progress for other marginalized communities, right? Um, and so you saw like case on case on case on case build on itself and create um, and, and create an expansion of rights, right? Like Drew and I have talked about, you know, how there were still like a lot of anti LGB uh, laws in place in certain states right and so you saw roe v wade really expand on that you know the women's rights movement really brought forth um the progress of other people underneath it unwittingly but it but it did so a lot of times i feel like it's so purposeful because you can market you know baby killing as a bad thing right none of us want to kill you just think baby you think like the gerber baby right but you don't really understand the implications of it and i have this conversation with family members all the time like the fact that like you know lesbian gay trans uh lesbian gay bi and trans people get to date whomever they want like marriage equality all of these things come on you know, arose on the movement of like, I think it's 123 cases around um, privacy. And so people don't understand that. And I wish that there was like a quick Venn diagram that you could give to people so that they could understand the implications of what they're voting on. Um, and what does that truly mean? And if anyone wants to design that, um, I'll let me know. I want to see it because <laughs> I'm always like, how do you not know? But you're right. We're not lawyers and we're not all versed in law and understand how policy impacts us or the people we love. And so I mean, much not of all this, lawyers know that either. You know, yeah, and we all tend to like be in a certain area um, 
you know, and so we focus on that area of practice. Um, and then the, the folks that do do a little bit of everything, they're not that well versed and learned in every little area that they practice in. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not just, you know, everyday people. Lawyers don't know everything, even though they might act like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people, to me, that's, that's the thing that, you know, people vote against themselves. Right. Well, yeah. Out of fear. Feeling. Out right. of fear. And at the end of the day, it's no coincidence that the right um, votes against, you know, things that, like, you know, education. <laughs> they want people to be ignorant. They want people to be uneducated so that they can instill fear right. in them. And, uh, and they don't, they think that they're being attacked. They think that their livelihood is going to be attacked in the end. What they don't realize is that the more rights that everyone has, the better it is for everyone. Right. But you know, Wait, you're right. Rights aren't a pie. <laughs> or if I if I eat all of them, you're not going to have any. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. I wanted and to it's, ask it's you. It's disgusting, though. It's disgusting, though, because to know that where we are today, that there's you know, been this concerted effort to ignite and, like I said, you know, breathe life into this underbelly um, and use that to gain political power, you know. It's just, it's just really, it, it's just really awful. I used to, I mean, I, you know, I used to say, it to, even to my dad, and who's, you know, very upset about everything that's happened, in like the white man's last stand, you know, mm-hmm. and um, building upon this nationalist mentality in order to gain political power. It's just, it's awful. I was going to ask you yeah. about that, actually, because you mentioned earlier and, 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 you know, like our, who we are, our, our, how we identify our experiences, it colors really our experience and how we're going to perceive something. So Daniel's experience, I find that, you know, I can be in rooms with parents, but the way I've perceived that experience is based on my own marginalization. And so I see things differently or needs for things differently. And you having, I woke up, I, I was joking around with Jose that I woke up in a Chicanexi sort of mood today because like I've been listening to this Selena podcast and so we were talking about all these things. How was it growing up in a, you know, a biracial home, right? Um, and being and being straddling both worlds. And then how has that helped you as a lawyer? Like, you know, what kind of superpowers do you have in seeing these things that help you do the work that you do? Yeah, I, that's, and I'm, I'm, I am revisiting all of that, um, especially after last year's social justice movement. Um, I, I have to be honest that I didn't, you know, as a child, I was very innocent. I really didn't see um, some of the things that I experienced with my dad's side of the family until I was an adult. Not that I didn't feel loved, not that I, you know, didn't feel welcomed, but um, when I look back on it, I see some of the things that have led me to where I am today. Um, And um, 
my mom and I, I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts. I think it was your first one yesterday about how, you know, you um, weren't raised speaking the language. Um, my mom wasn't either. She was was raised in the time when the school district was pushing for uh, families to speak only English to their kids. And so it was later in her career that she actually found that it, you know, was really necessary for her to to get steeped in the language and she'd always been, you know, deep in the culture, but in terms of the language, how that became very important to her. So I too wasn't raised speaking Spanish. Um, and I, I just, I think that I just grew up being me. I really didn't see, you know, I, I knew my, my, I knew my mom was Brown. I knew my dad was white, but I really didn't feel, um, you know, any kind of uh, disadvantage. Um, I didn't feel, you know, that I, you know, at the time, I didn't feel that I was treated differently. I, I know I was bullied in school. Um, and I look back on that now and I, and now I, I wonder more why that was. Right. And maybe it was because, you know, it was the color of my skin because back then I tanned really well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that as a kid, generally speaking, that I felt that I was really any different, even though I knew who I was. But the older that I've gotten, I, I, I look back on those times and I, and I see now that there were things that I experienced that led me to where I am today. And I think that that actually played a part in my initial um, reaction to learning about the civil rights movement of the 1960s and um it, it really impacted me, um, especially when I learned at one point in time, you know, my parents wouldn't have even be able to be married because they're not, you know, the same color. Um, yeah. And so learning more, you know, as I got older, that impacted me, um, you know, probably more so than when I was growing up. But like I just, like I said, I, I, I naively believed that we were more of the melting pot. I mean, that's what I was learning back mm -hmm. then. Yeah. You know, 80s, 90s, I was, I thought that, you know, we were at a certain place. And then, you know, then you come, you end up finally getting Obama, you know. Mm -hmm. And and then, boom. It's like what I initially went to school for, it's like, here we go again, you know. Yeah. So, I hope I answered that question. I mean, I, like I said, I, I was a kid, so I, I, I didn't feel the same things. And I, and I, under, and I recognize my privilege, um, even though my folks were not, they didn't have much money, but I just didn't, um, I didn't know. And I didn't, I wasn't made to feel any different. And maybe that's because my dad was a white guy with a brown woman. And I just, Hey, you know, this is life. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to say that because I think that whole, like, learning about the civil rights movement thing, because I grew up in a town that was 70-plus percent Mexican in Southern California, and it was very isolated from the rest of the world. And I was shocked when I got to college and found out the civil rights movement had been, like, within the last 20 years. We, we didn't have a great history class, obviously. <laughs> um and I mean, I had, I remember 
different teacher once asked me about, I was talking about this about in, in my house. She's like, yeah, but did you go to each other's churches? I'm like, yeah. Did you go to each other's birthday parties? Did people date? I'm like, of course. Like, I didn't know that wasn't the thing that happened. Um, and I and having to relearn kind of everything, how weird that was the place where I was. Weird in, I think, some very good ways. Um, is just isn't it? Isn't it? It's crazy, though, amazing. right? Because yeah. it's amazing to me, like, when I was learning about it. I mean, I first learned about it when I was in high school. And now to know that, like, some kids don't even know about the Holocaust, which is like, I mean, really? What are we doing? What's, what is right. our education system doing? But I digress. Um, to know that, to know that in the nineties, when I, you know, I, to, to look back and, and in the sixties, that just seems so far away. Yes. And now that, you know, here we are 2021 and I don't think it's that far away anymore, but it's that mentality when you're, when you're younger and you think, oh, that's just such a long time ago. Yeah. Really wasn't. It's so interesting that you both bring that up because, um, well, my dad was very, very um he wanted me to feel proud about myself i think because he was aware of and had been grew up at a time when you know for i think stacy abrams said it best because i just watched her documentary on prime about yeah, she the, always says it best right she always yeah says she it does she was saying <laughs> that uh chicanos experienced uh what what Chicanos were experiencing very similar um, challenges that um, blacks in the South were experiencing um, during Jim Crow. Like there were places where if you were Mexican, indigenous, you couldn't go in. Um, Even there's document there's a documentary about Tucson where even Jewish people couldn't live in certain areas of town. Um, Lynchings. Uh, for brown and indigenous people, obviously bathrooms and things like that. And that's a lot of history that gets buried. And the rise of the Chicano movement was actually around like bathroom use and access to education. Um, And so my dad wanted me to be very aware and wanted me to feel pride. So he would always tell me that I needed to be brown and proud. But what I was uh, what I was talking to Jose about was that there was also a blessing in growing up in bubbles near the border, right? Like um, there was, or or along where there was like a large brown uh, brown population where you were kind of bubbled off from the hate, um, because there I I knew that I experienced racism, and as a child you internalize it differently and you don't really understand it. But I didn't realize the extent that people hated Mexicans like until Trump took over and was able to utilize that. And then we saw the shooting in Walmart um, in Texas. And I told Jose, like, that's all very jarring to me. Um, And my sister who moved out east uh, after college, she was like, the perception of Mexicans is so different. Like, it just is so different from growing up in our in our southwest bubble. Um, 
And so I think that what does she mean by that, though? Like, what does she mean by it was different? Well, just I mean, there's a, you know, in Latinidad, there's a hierarchy of culture, right? Um, Mexicans being kind of a lower rung before mm-hmm. other cult, like other countries and just like colorism, the erasure of black Latinos, right? Uh, black Latinx people. And so like this, because she was living in a predominantly, she was, she moved to New York. So it was predominantly, you know, Puerto Rican, um, Dominican. So she, they were like, you're Mexican. And, and like the response around like the ideas of what Mexican people look like. I mean, their idea of what Mexican people look like was Selena or like all the people in Nacho Libre, which is like not <laughs> what Mexicans look like, right? She didn't and, fit. She didn't fit their, their yeah. Perception. She didn't fit the yeah. bill, and so it was. It's really interesting growing up in a bubble, much like Drew. Like how you were like I was in a bubble where we were integrated and living together and understanding each other's cultures, and there was a cultural sharing. Um, and so it's interesting that you both mention it because that's the one thing I was talking to Jose about today. It was like you know we were in this bubble, um, and uh, and experiencing the world a little bit differently because of it but my dad's experience was very much like your mom's marisa where it was like you don't speak spanish in school spanish was my first language um because my grandmother took care of me but it just wasn't used in our home um i think for that reason and i've talked to other people too who are like my parents spoke to me so that i wouldn't in english mostly so i wouldn't have an accent because that was their biggest fear was that i would have an accent speaking um, and then being targeted or labeled or discriminated in some sort of way. That's, you know what's fascinating about that when I hear you talk about um, accents and language is that the great saint Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. um, she talks about how um, people from her area uh, that she grew up in because they have these Appalachian accents they're very often taught to unlearn them um, because people think you're they automatically think you're stupid if you have that accent and Um, universal these problems right I completely yeah Dolly's the you know um Dolly Parton's America, like that resonated with me. And I know that that yeah. resonated with so many people. Even Russ, who was like, Lizette, so much of your culture resonates with my Appalachian culture because like there's so many similarities, right? But we're taught that we're so different. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, and it seems like if that's a place where there really are all these obvious coalitions that could be made that aren't um and i think it's because there is active work from sort of the we need more factory workers standpoint um so we'll keep people fighting among themselves they won't be educated they won't actually realize that if they teamed up they would win um that goes on but it is really sad i mean i see what when i'm in my office and the people who I'm seeing who are really struggling right now, um, it cuts through, completely cuts across racial boundaries, belief boundaries. Um, and I wish that people in these times could come together in the fight instead of 
fighting for smaller and smaller crowns. Yeah. In the podcast I'm listening, Anything for Selena, she's, she said it really beautifully in that because she was talking about the tension between immigrant Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, right? Which we've known we, that's existed always. Um, mm-hmm. And she was she said they're both vying for visibility. One, to be seen as an American, right? Mexican-Americans to be seen as like this multidimensional part of the fabric of America. And the other one to be seen and also feel like they're at home. And so there's like this duality of needing visibility um, that I think that we all, I think that really, which is why I always talk to you about this, Drew, about like the boats. We're all rowing in the same direction. We all want the same thing. We all want liberation and and visibility and freedom. And how do we tether together? And I think that when she used the word visit, we're all fighting for visibility. Um, I was like, yeah, like that's the simplest way of explaining that conundrum that everyone's always talking about. To be can seen. You both, can you both talk a little bit about that struggle between immigrant Mexicans and Mexican-Americans? Because I, I was absolutely shocked at the beginning of that guy's election, um, like when he was campaigning and talking about this stuff. I had a bunch of friends from high school who were like, talking about immigrants in just horrible ways. And I was like, but you're talking about your grandmother. And they're like, no, 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 she was different. She did it differently. And what, what is that struggle? And it's not just, I know it's not just Mexican, but it is, it's, it's immigrant versus blank American. Well, it's assimilation too. That's tied into it is like, to come and to assimilate and to be a part of the fabric. And I think more and more we're pushing away from assimilation. Those of us who want to, like, I think, I think I can be all my things and be American, right? Um, That multiculturalism that should exist with beauty in our country. But I think, you know, there, there was so much shame and, and I'm learning about it as I go to like this movement in the nineties, like NAFTA, and the peso dropping and work being hard um, because it was now cheaper to buy labor in Mexico and have things made. So you saw a flood of people come to the United States. And so there was this resentment. Um, And for me personally, like I always felt like, but I am American. Like I, when I go stay with my prima in Nogales on the other side, like they don't see me as Mexican. Like I'm the American cousin coming to visit. And and I'm and pocha. I don't speak very well. Um, so like this whole like not being a part of the country that you were born in, this displacement and kind of like this erasure. Like again, it goes back to this visibility. And so you would see tension naturally between people who were born here and people who came. And and also to be an immigrant in that time period became like an ugly thing. I mean, how how. Look at how Trump was able to kind of weaponize this idea of people crossing the border, right? Like these brown people coming across. And if you're trying to assimilate, which now we know that shouldn't be the goal. um, If you were a young person feeling the pressure, but I am American, you would naturally probably push back about against that. Jose says that coming here to the United States when he was nine, that he felt more more discrimination from 
Chicanx people than he did from white people. He's like, white people were mean, but like, you know, Chicanx people really wanted to separate themselves from my experience. Um, And so I'm hoping that that changes. I mean, we're all seeing the same anyway. Um, And I think, you know, I think there's more awareness too. But you, I mean, the Latinos for Trump. It is sad. But Latinos for Trump, I mean, that, that. And then too, like, there's a lot of history. Like, you know, when uh, some people will say that they're Tejanos because they've been here forever, right? Like generations Uh and generations and generations. Um, Jose recently learned that his family came to, to the United States first before they ever ended up in Mexico. So we talk about just migration being a form that people take for better lives. And we don't normalize that. We don't talk about migration. We talk about it in history, right? And then we think nations have been formed and so migration shouldn't happen anymore. But that's just not true. People will always move um, to make a better life for themselves. I don't know, Marisa, what what do you think? As I just took up so much space. No, you didn't. I mean, I think that you have more of that experience, especially when it comes to Jose. But, I mean, growing up, I mean, we would, we, I remember we had this one uh, family reunion and we had some family from Mexico come up and I didn't ever, I didn't ever see any, um, you know, again, we were a family, but I never saw that there was any sort of treatment that, you know, different treatment for our family that was coming, um, from, you know, from Mexico. But, um, I actually felt it more, and this may be the bigger picture. Uh, I felt it more with like family who lived on the south side mm-hmm. versus those of us who lived on the east side of town, like in Tucson. Yeah. Um, there was this attitude that, you know, those who like moved to different parts of town that weren't on the south side still, because that's where my mom um, and my my grandfather's family like who you know really based themselves um that we were better than that and we thought we were better than them which was not the case but then that created animosity within our own you know family mm-hmm. um because that, that wasn't the case it was just that you move for different reasons and i don't think it you know i, I think it's a larger message about you know capitalism and yes um americanization and mm-hmm assimilation like you said you know i look back on these photos of my and my grandfather was like one of if not the first spanish-speaking radio announcer in tucson and that brought a lot of pressure um and you know he had a lot of goals and aspirations and um you know that that assimilation was important to feed his family yeah um and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, ambition there, too. But it's interesting. Like, I, I didn't see, I growing up, I didn't see that there was um, a certain treatment of, you know, our family who wasn't here. It was actually who we got here. And that's, what, that, that's what's so sad to me is, you know, we're, we can be in our own communities, our own worst enemy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we te- attack each other. And then... It also, I think, is a larger message about education. Yeah. You know, this idea, this, you know, 
this idea that, you know, brown people who are working jobs that white folks won't work because it doesn't pay enough, but yet they're still taking jobs away from, from white people. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fiction. And yeah. Trump picked up on that. And I noticed that you said that past that guy. <laughs> and I said his name three times now, and I'm sorry. It's okay. We'll beep it out. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but I mean, well, people shouldn't forget who it was, quite frankly, you know. Um, yeah. But, built, you know, try, utilizing these um, lies and, you know, these false stories in order to gain power. It's just, you know, and, and that's what that's what that underbelly wanted. They wanted that validation that 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 the things that they believed they are watching probably on one if, and now there's more uh, news station that's not even real news, even though we were told that we're watching fake news. This idea that these these folks are taking away jobs from them and, and then you know capitalizing on that that false narrative, I think that's what makes it even more disturbing because it's not it's not real. The jobs that yeah. these folks are coming here for, and the opportunities that they're coming here for—that it's not—it's not something that takes away from anyone else. It actually is how we got here. They're the foundation for our country, and um, you know, immigrants are are really everything. Yeah. You know, we we need we need them here to help us. So I don't. I think that's the bigger picture. But for me, I didn't, I don't, I quite frankly, I don't relate to that narrative because I, I, I it didn't happen to me. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it's, it's a story that tells me, though, that this idea that immigrants are a threat, it, it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And I share and that, and I have to give credit, sorry, to where I heard, you know, because I'm speaking from what I've heard from people and sentiment from other people. I was always really, my parents were, came when they were three and five, and I never shied away from sharing that. Um, but I did feel like a sadness that people didn't like see me as American, right? Um, so I got to give credit to the anything for Selena, because that was a whole episode. So I was just relaying information, got to share it out there. Go ahead, Drew. No, it just, it's with um, what Marisa was saying is it's so... It's amazing to me the dueling narratives that get put out there, too, and that people believe both of them. Mm. This whole thing about, you know, immigrants are taking your jobs and you're going to end up on welfare is also at the same time. It's all the immigrants are on welfare and they're they're just going to steal from you from your job. And it's like you can't have both. <laughs> That's funny or, when you say that. It's true. And or it's we're paying for all, them or we're paying for them, right? We're paying. Yeah, them we're paying for them, but mm-hmm. they're taking our jobs. And, um, I mean, and we see the same thing regularly, like, I mean, the whole, I remember with the whole gays in the military, it was both that gay people weren't really strong enough to be in the military, but they were strong enough that they could force their way in. And you're like, um, I'm not really sure that those can go together. Right? You're right? Like, how does that exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it just... Yeah, I, I don't, I sometimes wish I had the ability to hold on to more of those things that um, I'm totally forgetting the word for. Uh, 
<laughs> two of those competing ideas at the same time, cognitive dissonance. I wish I was better at that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes because it would make the world much simpler if I could just believe everything, no matter how, how much it went against something else I believed. Um, and, um, but it really, it is amazing how so many of the narratives, I mean, there's this whole thing right now with, we were talking about the sports bill. So trans girls are going to ruin sports, um, because we don't have any rules to keep them out. But on the other hand, there have never been any trans girls who have won Olympic gold medals or championships on at the national level or on and on and on and on. So how do you believe both of those at once? I mean, have, have trans girls and women invaded sports and taken away all the medals or have they been kept out all along and, or when they're in, they are actually competing and are not, taking away anyone's medal. Right. It's just fascinating that, I mean, it it really is true with a lot of these arguments. So for those who've been listening, they know that I take sometimes a little break if we get close to the 50 minute mark and somebody's up, please move forward because we had to take a quick break. So Drew had just been talking about uh, the anti-trans bill, the one that's focused on trans girls in sport and I don't know um, if you've already touched on this in your um, podcast but which I will catch up on but but I wanted to ask if he could explain you know for those who are maybe new um, you know or you know address these myths about puberty and about how girls um you know or trans girls in sports um how if if they do or if they don't um impact um you know the the sports that they participate in you know when it comes to going through puberty and if they're not on walkers and um yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I want to. I want to leave it open so that you can address it as a professional, a provider, a medical professional. I was just going to say how lucky we have a doctor who practices trans pediatrics. Yay! Right, and I'm, <laughs> you know, foreshadowing our next episode. We'll talk about this a lot. Yeah. Um, but um, from, so I look at this in some ways like I look at. Um, the ideas behind, okay, this is going to sound, you're, I'm going to get to the analogy, but I think you're a lawyer, so I'll use lawyer language. The ideas of incarceration. So everyone, when they think about incarceration, thinks it's murderers and, you know, um, people who have done, you know, burnt down houses full of babies and stuff like that is who's in jail. Yeah. Um, same thing, when people think the only area that people think about with idea is you have an elite level um, as male athlete um, who is competing and then maybe they're not doing as well as they want to so they say you know what I'm going to identify as female um, and I'm going to start competing um, and that is 
the thing that all of these laws keep talking about. Um, and that's not reality. Um, I think that it's it that feeds into the myth that somehow trans feminine people are not feminine. Um, when in fact, I mean, trans women are women, trans girls are girls. Um, and this that just sort of feeds into this myth. Because we start off with, okay, little kids. There is absolutely no reason for little kids to be in gender segregated sports at all. Um, and a lot of them, they are all together. Um, and then when people start going through puberty, um, there's this whole thing where sports start being split. And apparently some of the original reasons for that were because, well, this is, again, one of those dichotomies that you can't really figure out. On the one hand, the girls um, were starting to you know, go through puberty, and so they were becoming weak and, and weak and womanly. But on the other hand, they were so good, they were beating the boys, and so it hurts boys' self-esteem to get beaten by a girl. Um, and, and neither of those, I think, is, is reality. Um, so then you look at, okay, kids who are on blockers, those kids are probably going to be at a disadvantage no matter what, because they don't have either sex hormone promoting their muscle and bone growth that'll help them. Um, and you've gone through all of those levels. Um, and the reality is, is most of the women who are trans who have competed, um, there have been some pretty good studies on athletes who have transitioned and very regular, and it's, it's, it's really predictable regular values for how much their strength and lung capacity and all that decreases. Um, and so it's really just looking at this one tiny, tiny segment is can someone compete quote unquote as a boy one season, not do anything for transition and then quote unquote compete as a girl in the next season. Um, which to me is sort of like, you know what, we're going to keep, you know, 99.99% of competitors out because of something that theoretically could happen and theoretically could give someone an advantage. And that doesn't make sense. And then on top of all of that is like, okay, so um, it shouldn't happen because you know, someone has gone through male puberty, so they have extra strength and bones. I think we all know, and, and in case we don't all know, I'll admit it, I'm one of the boys who, if I were to race against a girl, I would lose. Um, and so just because, <laughs> just because I decided to run the New York marathon with the women, I'm not going to beat them. They're going to beat me because this is a big shock to everyone. People, people's gender does not necessarily dictate their ability at sports. Right. I know that, that is a shock. I know. And it, and I think a big part of this, all, there's there's two other things that feed into this. One is just the blatant misogyny. Right. That, you know, the girls the girls aren't strong enough to compete with the go the boys, and this is a boy. And even though it's not a boy, 
who is competing, even though she's a girl who's competing. That's the picture they're trying to paint. The other thing um, is if you look at the regularly published picture of the athletes where this suddenly became an issue a few years ago, um, they are black. Mm -hmm. And it was a picture of black trans girls who were beating some white girls sometimes in Connecticut, where a lot of this started. Yeah. Um, and that feeds into the same stereotypes for that, you know, that kept baseball leagues segregated because supposedly being black gives you some sort of advantage at sports. Um, although on the flip side, being a person of color makes you too late to compete. So I don't know how we handle that dichotomy too. <laughs> That was sarcasm, everyone. That was sarcasm. Every time, like, right? Like, yes, yes. The lazy BIPOC people, yet, like, here we are taking all the things, all the glory of all the things. It is amazing, apparently, the things that people of color can do in their sleep. Right. Um, When they're too tired to do it, too lazy. Accomplishing way more than I do, fully awake all the time. But it, so it's this these levels upon levels of transphobia, underneath misogyny, underneath racism, um, underneath body control, um, all as a fight. This fight is not about sports, just right. like the birth certificate fight is not about that someone's going to change their birth certificate so that they can get a new identity and, I don't know, be a spy. Um, I've never figured out exactly what the ulterior motive of changing one's birth certificate would be. Right. Of course, I'm also not. I'm also not 100 percent sure why we put male and female on birth certificates, and what we really should just be putting is, I don't know, penis, vagina, neither penis nor vagina. Right. Except we couldn't do that because then we'd have to talk body parts, and no one wants to talk about body parts that children don't have, of course. I'm sorry, that was a really ambling soapbox monologue about a number of issues that I think are ridiculous. What I what I wanna what I wanna what I wanna sh- I can I share my experience right now hearing you say all these things? Yeah. Is that, of course you can. Is that like so today you have all touched on like these built medical birth certificate sports and if you're an outsider, you're like, that's awful. And every once in a while when y'all are talking about it, I'm like thinking about how my life is intertwined into each one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, oh, wait, that's my life. Like fighting for birth certificates. Oh, yeah, that's I'm my life. Or medical care. Oh, yeah, that's us. And how like deeply linked I am to all of that. So sometimes it feels a little out of body. Sorry, <laughs> as you're talking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's me too, yeah. Um, well, and this is something where in my day-to-day life, it's only because I'm talking to you and I know we're, uh, we're talking about things here and issues and stuff, is as a cisgender white male, I need to realize when talking about this also is hitting on people's trauma. Um, and so in the work, unless I know someone, well, this is a hard discussion to have because yeah. I don't want to induce trauma in people. 
um, talking about experiences I haven't had. Well, it's just interesting because, you know, you you keep on keeping on, right? Like you just keep moving and you forget. (laughs) I forget sometimes the things that I'm like doing. And it's so important as an advocate and somebody who's educating. And sometimes I get tired of educating. I'm not going to lie. I think I was telling my therapist on Thursday that like I was in a mood where I was like, I'm just so tired of hearts and minds right now. Like, I don't feel like it. I'm so drained today. I'm tired of educating people like My kid is like, if you look at him, he's just a kid. And why wouldn't you want him to have the things that he needs to thrive? Like, I don't know why it's I what I told my therapist is, why does it have to be so hard? Like, I'm so exhausted, emotionally, like physically exhausted. But it's so intertwined and layered, Drew, like you, you kicked on like, you know, Jose always teases me because he's like, you're like Kenya Barris who wrote like Blackish, um, and he has a show on Netflix where every episode is called Because of Racism. And Jose is always teasing me because I'm like, well, it's racism, you know, well, it's whatever. And so he's always telling me that I'll always throw it back, but you're right. Like you just listed a layer of things and people think, especially again, Venn Venn diagram, that's when we, you just made a Venn diagram of how a policy really intertwines with all the isms that we're fighting against right now or have always been fighting against. And I think people many times were so bombarded with information. It's hard to see what is it? The grass through the weeds. Is that how you say it? Um, And really see how things fit together. Um, It's kind of like writing a song. Like I'm always amazed when people create music I'm like, was that on purpose or was that on accident? Like these people that write these bills and devise these systems of oppression. I'm like, was that on accident or was that on purpose? Because if it's on purpose, you're a genius. Like, how did you fit and pack in all the layers of oppression into one thing? Like, how did you manage to do that? I want to know because you are truly an evil genius if you were able to just if it wasn't an accident, you know? So my mind is always kind of in that place of like, how did you do, how did you manage to fit trans, transphobia, misogyny, um, racism all into one tiny thing, you know, 15, like five pages of whatever that bill is or whatever. So. I mean, I think if you go back to like the foundations of our country and the systems that have been in place since that time. Right. You can you can trace it all back to them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like where a lot of these bills that, you know, apparently just on the surface are attacking trans kids in sports and trans kids in general. It's really an attack on, you know, the body, which the larger context is to maintain a system that has largely been a part of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. white, when we're talking, we're not just talking about white people in general, this idea of what, I mean, you can be a part of this movement on the right and not be, quote unquote, white. It's a, you know, it's it's bigger than just having white skin. Right. It's a, a, a mind frame right. that if other folks are part of the group that you're in, it threatens your livelihood and, and your life. And it's not true. And at the same time, if you believe that and you watch, you know, your news sources, 
tell you that that's what's happening and you were taught to believe what's on the news, um, then you're going to, you know, buy into that, that lie. And it, it's just, it's just awful because at the end of the day, a lot of this, these myths and these lies target uh, poor people who are, yep. you know, uneducated mm-hmm. and they're being used They're you know, and, and they're being used for a certain purpose. And I know a lot of that's controversial to say that, but it's true. And it's not that they're stupid, but this is a design. This is a part of a system to keep certain things the way that they always have been. When at the end of the day, we move forward, we move more, you know, more left of center. We move toward a country that is really what we, you know, with <laughs> where we want it to be. Not, not with saying the fact that the founders probably didn't see it going this direction, at the end of the day, I mean, they were engaging in behaviors and doing things back then that told us that this is the kind of world that they wanted to live in, too, because they were living it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were able to, I mean, it goes to that whole thing about they were able to say all men are created equal, but we're going to own men. Right. Like, how, what, what, how do you, how do you do yeah. that? And it also, you know what else reminds me of is the thing I had read a couple weeks ago about I want what is true about our country to be true. Yeah. So the things that we've been taught our whole lives about equality and opportunity and freedom, I want those to actually be true. Yeah. I want everyone to have opportunities and freedom and be able to be, you know, have their life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And it's that, which is so, it's so, so full circle on this whole, like, I think it's one of the things that really does surprise a lot of people is a lot of the people I know who are on the left and are more progressive, we actually believe in those ideals very, very much. Yes. The ones the ones that are in all of our founding documents about, you know, the frilly stuff, about, you know, being who we want to be. Um, and it just amazes me people can't see that right yes a thousand percent (laughs) i i think about that like jose and i talk about the patriotism in 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 being the immigrant who comes and 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 believes in the the dream right yes yes and the the beauty of that um Nobody is going to walk, you know, a thousand miles away from their home where they had stability and a job and family to get to a better place if they don't believe that that better place really is good. Right. Or that it's something that they really need. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if they had all of that there and their lives were in danger, they wouldn't leave. No. 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 Oh, and it like often, myth, just like this myth that oh, trans folks just decide, you know, this is what they want. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I really. Folks, this is exactly the life that gay folks decided yes. that they wanted to go through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although personally, now I, it's interesting because then you get to the point. I, in some point of the evolution, where I'm like, 
Hey, you know what? I would choose this. I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I say that, like I, I was glad you said, it's not that I don't identify like trans lives and gay lives, a beautiful yeah. lot. But what I'm saying yeah. is like the struggle, this idea that, oh, oh yeah, yeah. pick up my life and, you know, move to this country that I know nothing about, that I don't even know the language because I want to take advantage of these white people. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. That's exactly why I'm doing this. You know, what's what's really what I thought was really beautiful about, you know, for as exhausting as the last couple of weeks have been with the election and Biden winning and everything, um, I think and, and seeing like us really grapple and want to heal as a country and not understand how to move forward. I found it inspiring and powerful that a 22-year-old woman gave us words to talk about how to move forward as a nation. Amanda Gorman, when she said, um, uh, I just pulled it up and now I lost it. No, but she says, um, she said, it's be it's because being America is more than the pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it. And I think that she gave us words, right? Because before that it was a lot of burn it down and and how and and maybe we don't want to. Maybe there's another way forward. Maybe there's a path for healing and I don't know what that looks like. And we would yeah. all collectively have to figure that out. But I was inspired never by good that. At that. But I was inspired by this person giving us language for it. To see yeah. something different, right? To see something different than just assimilation or destruction. But to see something in which it could be like collaborative and grow in a, and get to that inherent perfect place that you talk about, Drew, right? That that yeah. place that the ideal to finally get to the ideal of life, liberty, and freedom for all people. Yeah. So. I mean, I I don't know what it looks like either. I think that the two of you probably look know what it would probably look like more than me, having been, you know, invested. I mean, I've been politically active in my life. But now I am even more dedicated to causes and politics and, and knowing the importance of not, not just politics, but government, right? Like who our leaders are, that elections matter, that your voting matters. But what I, I think that for me, what it, it probably looks like now is that there's more people who, and I'm not saying they're like me, but I think that a lot of people were impacted by last summer's, you know, justice movement. And a lot of people now realize we haven't done enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought that donating money, if we had extra money, our voting, that that would, you know, and, and volunteering time to time for organizations, volunteering around the elections, that was, you know, doing our part. But I think a, a lot more folks now realize that we have to do more and so i think that part of what it looks like is that now we have numbers yeah Yeah. bodies of people who are 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 not going to you know 
sit back anymore. We've learned our lesson. Um, and I know it, it's a horrible to think that it took these past five years for folks to realize it. But, you know, it, it is what it is and we're moving forward. And I just think that that's really important that we've got a lot of people who are on board now and who know um, how important it is to get engaged and get involved. Yeah. And, and all you politicians listening, don't forget that all those people got involved because of hope and wanting something. And so don't give half measures, give full measures. Absolutely. You politician people. Yeah. My mom, <laughs> you know, my mom called me the day of the swearing in the inauguration. And she was like, never in all my life, Lisa, said, have I ever seen something centered around all of us. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. had Ken, if Ken were still alive, he would have thought it was so beautiful to see something that like really encompassed just people. Like even I was blown away by the uh, inaugural party. Cause usually we see like, what was it? Like they dance that you get to see the party and like the couple, they dance, whatever. But it was all these videos like centered around people, right? Like the educator, the nurse, the doctor, the frontline worker, like, yeah. It was so not about, you know, the president and vice president being sworn in. It was about like our country. And so, yeah. I've never seen it either. And I told my mom, I know it was like beautiful. I've never, maybe there's an awareness. Maybe being in a pandemic put us in such a vulnerable place that we were able to see everything, you know. And And not only that, but sometimes, you know, silver linings. I sometimes think the entitlement of millennials like somehow like morphed into like an entitlement for like wanting freedom that zillennials, that this Generation Z carries because Daniel's like, no, no, why can't all people have that? Like, no, 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 no. Why does that have to live in a box? Like, why can't we be, you know? And I'm amazed by what I hear. It, some of the stuff he says makes me uncomfortable. And then I'm like, that's just me, my bias or my age or whatever. <laughs> And I got to get with the times, but you know, there's like, no, you are still young and cool. Thank you. <laughs> I'm having, I'll be, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm going to have my second pandemic birthday. I'll be 41 this year in the pandemic by the time we get vaccinated. But I, that that's me going somewhere else. I'll be 40. Uh, I'll be 40. Mm-hmm. But, um, You're both children. I mean, children. <laughs> you know, when you say that, though, like, um, I agree with your mom. It really did focus on people, but I don't want to ignore that it was inclusive. I mean, yes, this idea that you are colorblind. No. You know, you need to see people for who they are. And I think yes. that, you know, and, that, and I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. When you say people, you mean all people. Yes. All people. All people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, highlighting, you know, gay folks and trans folks and black folks and brown folks and white folks and women and all of it, you know, indigenous folks. Like it highlighted that and it, it showed us how important that is to not ignore who we are. So while it, yeah, it was, it, it related to all people, it, it saw people for who they are. It was inclusive. And when you come to like the millennial side, I think that millennials are starting to pick up on, yeah, when you say pr- they're privileged, they've assumed a lot of things, but now they realize, oh, and I hope that most of them realize it, 
and they're not just caught up in YouTube videos and, you know, Instagramming and making money. Because a lot of those kids, I'm still a little bitter that they're making like millions of dollars <laughs> on videos. But I hope that they use whatever influence that they have and recognize that, you know, it's not a given. You know, you know no matter how much money you have, it might, it could be taken away from you. Yeah. It could, you need to use your influence for good to ensure that all people have the freedoms that you're enjoying. Yes. Yeah. I think that, I think that's been my big takeaway this year. And, and, you know, assimilation comes in all forms, right? Like I talk about, there's so many ways that assimilation takes place in all movements. Right. And, and what I hope, what, what I'm, where I am in my life is like, no, I want to know all of you for all the things like I want you to be the fullest you whatever that looks like however you identify like you don't have to be like assimilation is not the goal that doesn't liberate us right because that says that that there's only one way to be and I think we've moved into a space where like people are really defining themselves not to be like unique, like, you know, when they call us snowflakes, but really embracing all of the things that make them like it's almost like a res- like when we say we resist, we're resisting that internalized shame that we carried for whatever reasons that we carried them. Right. Like, Drew, you growing up gay or me being a brown girl or whatever, Marisa, you being maybe biracial or I don't know all the things, but things that we were taught made us different that were that would make us feel like different bad. I'm not, I don't know. I can't speak, but, um, but I totally not, know. What it makes, it's not bad. It's way more interesting to have all. Yeah. Like glitter shine. I want to see it all. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I mean, vanilla ice cream is always better with a little syrup or sprinkles. Right. I mean, <laughs> or you could be vanilla ice cream and that's, that's incredible too. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, that's good, too. That's yeah. good, too. Yeah, it's refreshing. Sometimes you want vanilla, sometimes you want Neapolitan. Right. I don't know. But, like, we should, but bringing all of those things to the table allows us to have a bigger, broader understanding of the world, you know? I I wrote, I, I wrote this piece not to get spiritual with people, but I, I said, I wrote once for this article they asked me to write this article and um i knew a lot of the girls reading women reading it were spiritual and background so i remember i have i daniel and i used to talk about this a lot and um i wrote um i think god made us all so different god or universe or whoever so that we could find them in the other so we could find the godliness in the other person right that's truly the challenge of humanity is to find that the 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 godliness, the universe, the that other soul being in someone else to be able to see it. And what hate, fear, and bias does is it 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 removes that part of that person. It makes them a stereotype or a caricature, and you cannot see yourself in them. You can't empathize. Yeah. And um. And so I, I, that's the world I want to live in. I want to be challenged by people and I want to get to know them and I want to see them fully for who they are. And I felt like that's what I was seeing when I was watching the inauguration, like a glimpse of that, of 
people being celebrated in such a lovely way, their humanity being celebrated. And I appreciated that. Yeah, no, I, oh. I, I completely agree. And I'm going to let you jump in here in a minute because he just keeps moaning and stuff. But, no, I'm like happy sighing. No, oh, okay. <laughs> I know, I figured you were because you are an elder. <laughs> um, no, but like, really, I mean, it's, it's true, but we can't ignore that this administration, if it didn't do that, like Drew was saying, this administration knows that the people who got it elected. Yeah. Yes. We're watching. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we are the reason why they're there, and they better acknowledge who we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not just this administration coming out of nowhere. No. You better acknowledge the folks that got you elected and do things and take action, you know, for your electorate. And that's people power in motion. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We we have all all the talks. Yes. Um, Marisa, what are three things that you feel are important to building community? Oh, my goodness. I was um, anticipating another question. <laughs> well, I told you both. I, I'm sure I did. We do both of them. Three, three things that I feel are important to building community. Yeah. I'm going to bump that to you first. <laughs> we can skip it. Drew, we'll do, let's, we'll add yours, the one that you want to do, and then we'll do who inspires us. Oh, so instead of building community, I'm going to tell you who I hate. Yeah. Marisa yes, I'm using that word. Is doing that one. So Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers, you are the worst. The worst. She has put forward it's something like 30 different bills, which means she obviously didn't write them herself, about everything from naming a part of a freeway, the Donald Trump freeway in Arizona, to banning trans girls from sports and making it illegal for me to do my medical practice to help trans kids um, so that me and the parents will be in adjoining cells is what she wants. And for that, Wendy, I would say, Wendy Rogers, you are the worst this week. The worst this week. Drew, I would gladly share a <laughs> cell with you. Oh, yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> Marisa, who do you hate at some point for something I believe in is definitely on my bucket list that I haven't achieved yet. So okay, no, I'll I'm be right there with that. you. Marisa, who are you? Who do we thumbs down this week? Kristen Cinema. Oh, yeah, she's bad. Too. She's a woman and a, an out, a member of, or a bisexual woman. So she's an out member of the LGBTQIA community, and um, she supports the filibuster, apparently, along with Joe Manchin. And filibuster, for those who don't know, has its roots in slavery and in maintaining white supremacy and this idea that she's so concerned about the right in Arizona and getting reelected 
and to stand up against that when she and Joe Manchin are the only ones who haven't spoken out against it in the oh, Senate. Oh, there's a third one. In terms of there's a th- Diane Feinstein in the Senate. Yeah, Diane Feinstein. But she's but she's old, so people forget about her. <laughs> I thought that I thought it was only Joe and Kirsten who were um, opposed to it. So because I mean, I, I, stand cor- I, I sit corrected. It bugs me. Um, yeah. Well, especially Kirsten being yep. um, a bisexual woman. Like I, 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 I'm just so disappointed, and from being from Arizona. Um, I just think she's the worst, but you know that's second to Wendy Rogers this week. Because <laughs> I agree way, with you, Drew, completely. I would rather. I think in some ways I consider her worse because she knows better. Yeah, she knows. She knows that none of the social issues that she deeply cares about, supposedly, are going to go anywhere as long as we have a filibuster. We will not get the Equality Act passed. No, absolutely. Um, we will not get the minimum wage raised. We will not get prison reform. And we will not get, we won't get anything that protects a right to choose. Um, because, and, and I, she's going to have to answer for how she thinks those things will get passed without filibuster reform. Yeah. I think she's going to have a great awakening. All I ever I hear when I think of Kristen Cinema is Tyra Banks yelling, I was rooting for you because that's how I feel on the inside. I was rooting for you and you've just been a huge disappointment. Completely. I mean, and not to mention all the times she voted, you know, with uh, Trump policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm like, Mm-mm. Yeah. No. no, who's who's running against you? The great boots did not make up. Nope. Nor does the purple wig. Okay. Yeah. So who inspires you all this week? This you, you, didn't, you didn't answer you didn't answer though. I'm thumbing down both of them. I'm with you with Wendy Rogers and Kristen Cinema. I got a you long have to add a, you don't have to add a third. I know this is your show, but come on. I got a long <laughs> I just, tr- girl, trust me. I got a list. Like I got a list of people. That one day, I hope karma comes and grabs them. I'm not, <laughs> I'm there with you. I, trust me. You don't want me to okay. rant anymore. Okay. So, yeah. I can go first on the admire. Um, so, my person this week is someone who I actually am on a committee with. Um, Dr. Katie Lowe is a pediatrician in Montana. Um, she is on the national. Um, LGBT Health and West Welfare Task Force or section or something. Um, so Katie and a, organized pediatricians in Montana to go around before the votes were going to happen on the trans um, anti-trans sports bill um, to talk to politicians one-on-one and to talk to them about what this would actually do to girls. Mm. And she was going up against it was it's an amazing um feat to have kept that bill from really even being solidly considered in montana 
Um, and she was really a core of that effort because of her belief that how important children are um, as a pediatrician. And I just admire her. So Dr. Lowe, you're amazing. Katie, Katie's your friends and people like me who know her. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And snaps because they made sure that that bill failed. So, yeah, twice. Yeah. <laughs> they had to do it twice. It got shot down and then they tried to bring it up again and they're like, uh, uh, come on. Nope. Yeah. Marisa, how about you? So I'm going to preface this by saying that I am on a daily basis inspired by so many people. Um, people who are behind movements, behind the civil rights movement, behind the social justice movements, and people who refuse to be silent, you know, in the face of injustice. Um, and this has nothing to do with this podcast, but I am so inspired by the both of you and the work that you're doing. Um, Lisa, your, your support of your child um, and I mean, both you and Jose, uh, and how much you, you support Daniel and your advocacy work, um, knowing the danger um, and, you know, the potential ostracization that you face and you're speaking up and how much you've been doing um, since, you know, the beginning, since you, you knew. And really, quite frankly, your work... And, you, and your support of Daniel started when you started seeing, you know, indications that this is this might be what you would be living with, and and who your child is, um, and you, Drew, um, you, knowing, and I know you're you're moving. Unfortunately, we're losing you here oh, in Tucson. So <laughs> um, but you moving on to lead uh, a practice that focuses on specifically trans kids. And, and I assume, I believe GMC kids too, right? So um, dealing with all of that and, and, and moving, making a move all the way across the country to help children who are, you know, facing all of these adversities and these challenges in their lives and supporting them and how important that is. I'm, I'm just inspired by the both of you this week. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Okay. Well, that's, well, this week I was going to say, I know now I don't know what to say. I feel all red and Um, So my person this week was Daniel. And I haven't said Daniel before, but this past week was really hard for me. Usually like, you know, I'm pretty good at like putting up a shield, but this week was really, I had a really hard time this week, just feeling a little bit burnt I don't want to say burnt out I felt I just felt like I just felt tired (laughs) exhausted by the bills and um he's just really loving and really and like and just you know like I was he asked like mom why are you having such a hard day and he heard Jose and I talking about it and he's like they're trying to do that and I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I know you'll, I know you'll figure it out for me. And I think the trustingness and like the lightheartedness that he carries, like, I wish I was more like that. Um, 
I think I, that's the one thing I appreciate is that he's very, like he trusts that it will be okay in a way that sometimes I don't. Um, and so he inspired me this week because he's just stay so upbeat. I mean, he's mo- he's a teen. I mean, he's in a hoodie and grumpy sometimes, but not in, he's never really beaten down by things. And I appreciate that. Well, he's amazing. I know. He's my little. Because he's both, well, he's both sweet and strong. Yeah. Just like good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. The idea that you're like surprised though, like that when he says things like that, I mean, it just speaks to really who you are and your advocacy. Like you don't even see it. You're, you're so amazing. No. And it's such hard work. No, it is. It's so such hard work. I mean, you, you know, there's so many families who don't feel like they can come forward and they say, well, you're already out, right? Like you, you've already put your face out there and you're willing to take on that role for so many families and their kids. I think too. And it's not just for your kid. You know, you do it for the larger cause, the larger purpose for the entire community. I feel like I'm. And you don't have to. You don't have to, but you have. I I will say too that I think Daniel's very aware that, like, because one of the comments he made was like, "You'll just fly me with Drew," (laughs) and I think (laughs) I think he's very aware that he's surrounded by really good people. We've been really lucky to be around really good people, and and um, and so. He started off as my reason, but you're right. He's not the only reason anymore. But I think, you know, I think he's able to see that because he knows like he has people, he has a team around him that love him and he can rely on. So I'm grateful. I'm definitely lucky, luckier than some people. So thank you, Marisa. I appreciate it. All right. It's just just the truth. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Goodness. I don't like talking about myself, though. Well, Let's talk about so we like getting to know you. So that was fun. Well, thank you. Thank All right, you. y'all. So this is the end of the episode. Thank you both so much. And we will come back in two weeks with another exciting episode. Awesome. Bye. Bye.